Welcome to the Don't HR Alone podcast, your daily source for news and updates relevant to the HR profession. We bring you weekly interviews with HR leaders, CEOs, and small business owners, along with our daily updates. Each day, you can tune in for updates by following us on the social media of your choice. We post to LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also subscribe by going to don'thralone.com. And our show is on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher Radio, where you can subscribe as well. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 47 of Don't HR Alone. Today, we're doing a deep dive into independent contractor classification. This is the most common problem I see in small businesses. We've gotten a ton of questions of it about it over the last week. Uh, I don't know if there's a couple of, uh, if it's just a, a season for it or what, but tons of questions. So we're going to dive deep into the IRS factor explanations of what goes into determining independent contractor versus employee. If you're someone listening and you're not sure, this is going to walk you through every step. Now, quick disclaimer, there are two bits to this. There's the IRS side, followed by the FLSA side, and then there's even a couple of state regulations. We're going to focus on the most all-encompassing, the IRS. If your employee meets all of these criteria or doesn't meet any of them, you're pretty much set. But you do want to double-check the FLSA exemptions if you're a little on the edge, and go ahead and double-check your state as well. Or ask us. You can always message us uh, on on our social media. We'd be happy to look it up for you. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, let's 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 just really dive in here. The IRS ruling 8741 contains factors commonly referred to as the 20 common law factors that are used to assess whether a worker it or is an employee or an independent contractor for employment tax purposes. Although this revenue ruling is still valid today, the IRS has grouped the more relevant ones into the following three main categories of evidence to show whether an employee is an independent contractor or an employee. The three categories are behavioral control, covers the facts that show whether the business has a right to direct or control how the work is done through instruction, training, or other means. Financial control, that's number two, covers uh, facts that show whether the business has the right to direct or control the financial and business aspects of the worker's job. And then type of relationship covers the facts that relate to how the worker and the business owners perceive their relationship. So they're broken into these three categories, behavioral control, financial control, and type of relationship. In each case, employers must consider all of the facts and factors because no single fact will provide an absolute determination as to whether a worker is an independent contractor or an employee. So uh, we have an independent contractor classification assessment uh, in our HR suite that, man, you go in, you do all these questions. It makes a nice PDF, keeps track of everything. You should be documenting this for every job in your organization. And we may get into documentation and what you need at some other time. But just know that you need to actually do these tests, write it all down, who you're writing it about, those kind of things if you're trying to justify uh, an employee or an independent contractor. Okay. First category, behavioral control. One, is the worker required to comply with your instructions about when, where, and how his or her services are to be performed? This is a very important factor. If your business has the right to control or direct not only what is to be done, but also when, where, and how it is done, then the workers are most likely employees. If your business can direct or control only the results of the work done and not the means and methods of accomplishing the result, then the workers are probably independent contractors. So types of instructions uh, are things like 
when and where to work, what tools and equipment, what workers to hire or to assist with the work, where to purchase supplies and services, what work must be performed by a specific individual, and what order or sequences to following when performing the work. If you're providing that kind of stuff, you have behavioral control. The more detailed the instructions, the more control the business exercises over the worker. More detailed instructions indicate the worker is an employee. Less detailed instructors instructions reflects less control, indicating that the worker is more likely an independent contractor. Independent contractors are free to do their jobs their own way, using specific methods they choose, as a business engages an independent contractor for the job's end result. When a worker is required to follow company procedure manuals or is given specific instructions about how to perform the work, the worker is normally an employee. Okay, so that's our first question. Is the worker required to comply with your instructions about when, where, and how? Okay, question two. Does your business provide the supplies, materials, equipments, and other tools necessary to perform the work? The furnishing of tools, materials, etc. by the employer indicate control over the worker. Independent businesses furnish their own tool, uh, their own equipment, their own supplies needed to perform the work. Independent contractors normally have an investment in the items needed to complete their tasks. When a worker furnishes tools and materials, especially when a substantial sum is involved, that's an indication of independence. Okay, so... If they buy their own truck and their own tools and their own paper and their own marketing stuff, that's a pretty good sign that it's an independent contractor. If you're providing them business cards, if you're uh, purchasing all the materials and supplies and tools to do it, they're probably an employee. Okay. Question three. Is the worker required to perform the services personally and not delegate the task? This is a really big one that trips a lot of people up. A lot of people go in and say, okay, hey, um, I want to hire you specifically to do this thing, be an independent contractor. But most independent contractors, you're not hiring them to, you're not hiring a person, you're hiring a, an end result. So you don't care whether it's the person you talk to or their subordinates who do the actual work. So, an employee's services must be rendered personally. Employees do not hire their own substitutes or delegate work to them. A true independent contractor is able to assign another to do his job uh, in, in the first place and need not perform the, permis- the, the services permanently. Question four, is the worker required to perform the services on your business premises? Now, remember, all of these are different um, steps and 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 you know no one question is going to throw you in or out but doing the work on the employer's premise such as or on a route or at a location designated by an employer implies employer control especially when the work is of such nature that it could be done elsewhere doing work away from the employer's premises when it could be done on premises indicates some degree of freedom from control especially when the work is free from supervision So uh, just another ticket one way or the other, yes or no. Is the worker required to undergo company-provided training about processes and methods that so the work is performed in a particular manner with a particular result? This goes back to our first one about detailed instructions. But training means explaining detailed methods and procedures to be used in performing a task. If the business provides the worker with training on how to do the job, this indicates that the business wants the the job to be done a particular way. This is a strong evidence that the worker is an employee. Training can be as informal as requiring the worker to attend meetings or work along with someone who is more experienced. Periodic or ongoing training about procedures and methods is even stronger evidence of an employer-employee relationships. An independent contractor uses his or her own methods and thus needs not receive training from the purchaser of those services. 
Number six, is the worker required to submit regular oral or written reports? The submission of regular oral or written reports indicates control since the worker must account for his or her actions. An independent contractor probably won't be required uh, to submit oral or written reports about the work in progress. Number seven, does your business have the right to hire, fire, supervisor, or pay assistance of the worker? A worker performs services for an employer who hires, supervises, and pays assistance. If a worker hires and supervises assistance at the direction of the employer, he or she is acting as an employee in the capacity of a foreman for uh, for or a representative of the employer. An independent contractor hires, supervises, and pays assistance under a contract that requires him or her to provide materials and labor. So it's just kind of a different thing. So those are our behavioral controls. Pay assistance or, or fire and hire them, uh, oral or written reports, company-provided training, um, Perform services on business premises when it's not required to. Uh, personally perform the services, not delegate the tasks. Provide their own tools or you provide their tools. And then uh, in detailed instructions to comply about when, where, and how the work is to be done. So that is the sum of your behavioral control. If you go through those, those seven questions, uh, yes or no them, um, you're going to have a strong determination on whether or not you have behavioral control. If you do, that person's an employee. All right. Another way you can have control over an employee is, or it could be an employee instead of an independent contractor is the financial control test. So the behavioral control is one way. This is another. Number eight, does the work, uh, does the worker provide you services without maintaining a separately established business offering similar services to the market? When individuals hold themselves out to the general public as available to perform services similar to those performed for an employer, it is evidence that the individuals are operating separately established businesses and would normally be independent contractors. This could be evidenced by the worker having an established business, advertising in the electronic or print media, maintaining a list in the commercial page, using business cards, business stationery, carrying their own insurance, maintaining a place of business and making investments in facilities, paying one's own expenses, assuming risk or profit, uh, determining one's own schedule, setting or, or negotiating their own pay rate or pay uh, but per job, providing services concurrently for other businesses, competitive or non-competitive, being free to refuse work offers, being free to hire help. Those are your kind of financial determinants um, on whether or not they have a, a separate business. If a worker performs services for only one person, does not advertise his or her services to the general public, and performs services on a continuing basis, it's a pretty good indication that that's an employee, not an independent contractor. Okay, next question. Is the, is the worker paid a fixed salary, an hourly wage, or a based on a piece rate basis? Hourly wage, salary, or piece rate all lean towards employee. The method of payment may be helpful in determining whether the worker has an opportunity for profit or loss. A worker who is compensated on an hourly, daily, weekly, or similar basis is guaranteed a return for labor. This is generally evidence of an employer-employee relationships, even when the wage or salary is accomplished by a commission. Performance of tasks for a flat fee is generally evidence of independent contractor relationships, however, especially if the worker incurs the expense of performing the services when payments are made daily, weekly, or monthly is just not relevant. The key is that you're performing, you're paying them for the completion of a job as opposed to uh, piecework, hourly, or salary. 10. Does your business reimburse the worker's business and travel exp expenses? If the employer pays a worker business and travel expenses, the worker is generally an employee. An employer who is able to control expenses also generally retains the right to regulate and direct the worker's business activities. You're not going to say, I'll pay for all your business and travel, and then they just travel to Tahiti. You have control over how they do it. 
A worker is paid on a job basis and who has to take care of all incidental expenses is generally an independent contractor, on the other hand. So number 11, is the investment made by the worker in order to perform the services minor or relatively small compared to the investment of the business? A significant investment is evidence that the independent contractor relationships may exist. So if you're hiring um, a camera operator, right, and they bring their own $50,000 camera and they set everything up and then they produce for you a video and you pay them for a completed video, that's an independent contractor. You've, you've said, I want this video. I want a job. But if you buy a $50,000 camera and you say, hey, I want you to work. We got a set set up. I need you to be here from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. for the next six weeks so that you can record our stuff and I'll pay you by the hour or I'll pay you by the minute that you record or whatever it is, however you piecework it out. That's probably an employee. The investment in the, in the actual object uh, the independent contractor having a bigger one versus the business is a very good sign of the independent contractor relationship. Um, number 12, is the worker unable to make business decisions that would result in a worker in the worker earning a profit or incurring a loss? The ability to realize a profit or incur a loss is probably the strongest evidence that a worker controls the business aspects of services rendered. rendered. When workers are insulated from loss or are restricted in the amount of profit they can gain, they're usually employees. The opportunity for higher earnings by working longer hours, pay on a piecework basis, or the possibility of gain or loss from a commission arrangement is not considered profit or loss. An individual is normally an independent contractor when he or she is free to make business decisions which impact his or her ability to profit or suffer a loss. This involves real economic risk, not just the risk of not getting paid. It's different. You got to have expenses, you got to have your own systems, your own pieces to show that you could make a profit or not. It's not just, ah, I didn't make any money because I didn't sell anything. Whether a profit is realized or loss suffered generally depends on management decisions. That is, the one responsible for a profit or loss can use his or her ingenuity initiative and judgment in conducting the business or enterprise. That's what profit or loss means. These decisions would normally involve the acquisition, use or disposition of equipment, facilities, and stock in trade, which are under his or her control. Further examples of the ability to make economic business decisions include the amount and type of advertising, the priority in which assignments are worked, and selection of types and amounts of insurance coverage for the business. Independent contractors typically can invest significant amounts of time or capital in their work without any guarantee of success. That's the key difference. Final bit of this financial control, is the worker prohibited from performing similar services for other businesses at the same time? Work for a number of businesses at the same time usually indicates an independent contractor status because the worker is usually free in such cases from a control by any of the parties. If you say, hey, you can only work for me, then you're leaning towards employee. So those are the financial controls. We covered behavioral, now financial. Financial, to resummarize, does the worker provide you services without maintaining a separately established business? Is the worker paid a fixed salary and hourly wage or based on a piece rate basis? Does your business reimburse the worker's business and travel expenses? Is the investment made by the worker in order to perform the services minor or small compared to the investment of the business? Is the worker unable to make business decisions that would result in earning a profit or incurring a loss? And is the worker prohibited from similar performing similar services for other businesses at the same time? That covers our financial controls. Last up, relationship of the parties. This is the kind of broader ones. If the first two bits didn't answer your question, one of these last six will. 
Number 14. Is your business providing employee-type benefits? Employee benefits include things like life or disability insurance, pensions, paid vacation, paid sick days. Businesses do not grant these benefits to independent contractors. The evidence is strongest if the worker is provided with employee benefits under tax-qualified retirement plans, IRS Section 403B annuities, a cafeteria plan, which is your health insurance and all that. For by statute, these employee benefits can only be provided to employees. If you have independent contractors that you let get your health insurance or you let them buy Aflac or some other piece, and by the way, that's what we do. We're, we do a lot of benefits here at my company. Uh, that's a really, that's almost an immediate, they're an employee, okay? Because it's going to demonstrate that you're investing in the employee that you're providing. You, you just flat off the bat, if you provide employee type benefits, including paid time off, vacation, uh, or any sort of health benefit or life benefit, retirement plan, that person is almost definitely an employee. Number 15, are the services provided a key activity or part of your regular business activity? So if a worker provides services that are a key aspect of your regular business activity, it is more likely that the employer will have the right to direct and control the worker's activity. For example, a baker is a key element in the bakery business. It is likely that the baker bakery would have the right to control or direct that work uh, because his or her success determines the success of the bakery. This would include uh, this would indicate employer-employee relationships. On the other hand, a plumber engaged to fix the pipes in the bathroom of the bakery is performing a service on a one-time or occasional basis that is not an essential part of the purpose of the business enterprise. A certified public accountant engaged to prepare, prepare tax forms and financial statements for the business could also be an example of an independent contractor. Number 16, can the worker be discharged at any time without risking lawsuit? If a business has the right to discharge an individual at will and without liability, that person is considered an employee, ladies and gentlemen. The employer exercises control through the ever-present threat of dismissal, which causes the worker to obey instructions. Independent contractors normally cannot be discharged without liability as long as he or she produces a result that measures up to his or her contract specifications. Imagine if you'd hire painters and they'd come out to your house and they've got paint out and they're like halfway through painting the wall and they're doing a great job and you just walked in and we're like, screw you guys, everybody out, you're all fired. They'd be going, you owe us money, right? Independent contractors are hired to complete jobs. You normally can't just dismiss them for unless they are breaching the contract that you signed with them. That's another sign, by the way. We'll come to that uh, on the other side. The flip side of this, number 17, is can the worker quit at any time without risking a lawsuit? The right to quit at any time without incurring liability indicates employer-employee relationship. Independent contractors usually agree to complete a specific job and are not responsible for its satisfactory completion and are responsible for its satisfactory completion or are legally obligated to make good for failure to complete the job. They are not free to quit or walk away until the job is complete. Back to those painters. They're halfway through and they're like, hey, we're done. We're going to come back in like a month. We're not going to be here till then. Uh, just, you know, leave our stuff out. <laughs> yeah, that ain't going to work. That's an independent contractor. There's a legal liability that they complete the job and that you let them complete the job unless someone's screwing up the contract. Okay. Number 18, this is one that I see catch people up a lot. Does your business have employees who do the same type of work? If the work being done is basically the same as work that is normally done by a current employee, it indicates that the worker isn't an employee. This applies even if the work is being done on a one-time basis. For instance, to handle an extra workload or replace an employee who is on vacation, 
a worker is hired to fill in on a temporary basis, this worker is a temporary employee not an independent contractor. I see this in HR departments, ladies and gentlemen. You're in HR department, you got three people on staff, you guys go through a, uh, you know, you get bigger, you, you're hiring on a bunch of people. You bring on somebody who sets up an office, who sets up in your office with their own computer on your, or with, their, with a computer that you provide on your internet, and they're gonna be a consultant for six months. Yeah, a consultant's an employee, okay? This is someone, now they may be marketing to other businesses and you can make an argument for a lot of different things, but if they're gonna exclusively work for you for six months in a job that you already have on premises and you're gonna exercise control over it, this is probably an employee. Be very careful, if you have someone coming in to supplement a current job, they're probably an employee. You got a call center worker, you've got four or five people on salary, and then poof, you need four or five extras, so you hire some independent contractors, no. You're hiring temporary employees. It's a little different. So the last one, and this is to me the biggest one that I see kind of all the time. Did your business engage the worker with the expectation that the relationship will continue indefinitely rather than for a specific period? If a worker hires an employee with the expectation that the relationship will continue indefinitely rather than for a specific project or period, this is generally considered evidence that the intent was to create an employer-employee relationship. The relationship between an independent contractor and his or her clients ends when the job is finished. If the worker continues to be paid during down periods, this points to a more permanent employer-employee relationship. If the arrangement consists of continuing or recurring work, the relationship is considered permanent, even if the services are rendered on a one on a part-time basis or are seasonal in nature, or if the person actually only works for a short time. So this is a big one that I, I think a lot of kind of good HR departments still get caught up in sometimes. When you hire an independent contractor, it should be for a thing. Okay. As a rule, it's for a thing. Um I need we, we want someone to come in and replace these things, fix these things, do this job. You can normally state it that way. And there should be an end in sight. If it's if it's we want someone to come in and answer our phones <laughs> and work here. That's a, that's probably not it because that's going to go on forever. Maybe it's we want them to come in and answer the phones for a month. Well, if you already have someone on staff that answers the phones, then you're you're supplementing a current employee. So it's very easy with these 19 steps. Count them out. You can determine this. We're going to summarize the last bit: the relationships of the parties. Is your business providing benefits? Are the services provided a key activity or part of your regular business activity? Can the worker be discharged at any time without risking a lawsuit? Can the worker quit at any time without risking a lawsuit? Do you have, do you, does your business have employees who do the same type of work? And finally, did your business engage the worker with the expectation that the relationship will continue indefinitely? Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the 19 pieces. It's called the 20, but those are the, those are really it. Those 19. Go through. Yes or no them. You can always use our, uh, if you ever need help with that, let us know. We'll be happy to walk you through our assessment um, and document it. That's all you have to do to determine whether you need an independent contractor or an employee. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to episode number 47, a long one, independent contractor classification from Don't HR Alone. Like us, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Go to donhralone.com, click on the podcast, go through, read some more things, comment for us, subscribe online so we can email you when we do new episodes. Ladies and gentlemen, we want to be a part of your daily travel commute information. We want you to use us as a reference. If you need any help on this side, message, email, call. We want to help. 
go out there, get your work done, and have a great day.